Welcome to the Catholic Author Show, the show about fiction for modern Catholic authors. We talk creed, craft, and co-creation rooted in grit, grace, gods, and dragons. I'm your host, Dominic DeSouza, novel lover, all-around creative, and the founder of Catholic Author. We are here to inspire your faith and your fiction. We hope that you enjoy this episode. If you had to pick a character from the movie or book, why did you pick Luthien Tenuvial? Oh boy. <laughs> um, yeah, I, well, first of all, I love the Silmarillion and I love Tolkien's mm -hmm. world. So I wanted to pick a character from that, that world. And I've always loved Luthien. I mean, when we first meet her, she's dancing in a woods, singing to herself and she just seems really happy. And so I, I instantly really liked that character. Um, so that is, and I, and I've, I read it, um, I don't even remember when the first time I read the Silmarillion was, um, and maybe it was like 12, maybe 15, I don't know. But, um, so yeah, just felt like a, a kinship there. And of course she goes on all these amazing adventures and she's got long, dark hair. Um, and just like I had at the time, uh, very long hair. So I, I don't know. I think I just, um, I liked the, the magic of that character. Mm -hmm. Um, she's. Um, her story is a little tragic, but it's just so beautiful too. So, yeah. Wow, what a what a an amazing choice! Like, um, kind of a Joan of Arc, but with a whole lot more, I don't know, magic involved and so on. Yeah. Welcome everybody. Today we're joined by Jacqueline Luca. Uh, did I pronounce that correctly? Jacqueline Luca. Luca. Okay, she is an author and adventurer with a passion for words and stories, and this is the. Uh, conversation uh, first to meet her as an author and she's got a new book that she is in the process of publishing and we're actually really excited to be able to chat about it first so you heard it here first uh, this new book that she's been working on so welcome Jacqueline good to have you with us thank you thank you so much for those who are uh, not seeing this show before, this is the Catholic Author Show. It's a show about fiction for modern Catholic authors. We're talking creed, craft, and co-creation rooted in grit, grace, gods, and dragons. I'm your host, Dominic, novel lover, all-around creative, founder of Catholic Author. We're here to inspire your faith and your fiction. So what is your origin story, Jacqueline? How did you become a writer of a novel? Oh, good question. So I've always been a storyteller. Mm -hmm. um, I've always loved creating worlds, creating characters, and they always would feel very real to me. Mm -hmm. um, they were very much friends and um, yeah, characters who just felt like uh, they were real. Um, but I think I didn't really start um, writing and sharing stories until um, after, till probably a couple, a couple years ago, I met a friend who was also a Catholic writer. And we started talking and I started sharing my story with her. She would share her story with me. And I've been trying to get a lot better with actually sharing those stories because I think when we're given stories like that, uh, when we have these worlds and these characters, it's so beautiful to be able to share those and invite invite people into those worlds and, and invite people to get to know those characters so that they can, um, you know, find someone who's hopefully relatable or things like that. So, mm -hmm. yeah. It can be hard to, to actually share that stuff. And Absolutely. Uh, 
<laughs> especially when you're not used to it, when, when it's something that's so private. So I'm curious, what were some of the, the early stories that, uh, that you created? Oh my goodness. <laughs> I'm trying to think back. Um, I would do lots of fairy tales. So lots of, um, uh, yeah, fairies running around. Um, I'm trying to think, uh, lots of castles, knights fighting, uh, intrigue, things like that. Mm -hmm. Um, a lot of these stories actually, they're gonna, I think they're gonna keep coming up and, and maybe revamped ways in my novels, but, um, yeah, so you, you, there'll probably be a lot of those characters coming up in in novels and short stories, but lots of I like the you know princesses, knights, and magic and those kinds of things. So, well, given the nature of the show being it's not just about writing, I'm curious what's some of your faith background and how do you feel that informs you uh, as a writer? Mm, that's a beautiful question. Um, yeah, so I've I uh, was born, raised um, Catholic my whole life. So, um, and it's it's something that I have found. To be incredibly beautiful, so I think it it informs every aspect of my life. Um, I, I went to school at the University of St. Thomas, and I got a double major in English and Catholic studies, and I loved learning more about the faith. Mm -hmm. And I think Catholicism has such a rich and beautiful um, I don't I don't even know how to say it, history legacy. We have we have the arts we've supported we've um there's there's so much music and paintings and writing because of the catholic church that i feel like that has given me such a beautiful tradition i guess to to enter into when i'm writing and i think that that's mm -hmm. really um yeah really beautiful to tap into and i definitely think it informs my writing not explicitly maybe i don't have catholic religion in my fantasy novels Mm -hmm. um, but I think it impacts the morals that the characters have and, you know, their what they value is as important in, in life. Mm -hmm. So I think it informs a lot of the implicit values of this, mm -hmm. of these characters. So Definitely. Well, let's talk about that. The Sands of Null and what's the, without giving away the ending, obviously, uh, what's the story about? Um, yeah. What's the blurb for, for this story? Yeah, it's a story about a desert kingdom in in the desert Nall, and this kingdom is uh, beginning. the The physical kingdom is beginning to collapse, and there is the, the king's chief advisor thinks that if he can find a certain ancient treasure, he'll be able to undo um, this curse that's making the city fall apart. And he thinks that the person who can help him find this treasure is a lost, the lost princess Nariel. And so the story is kind of told both from his perspective is trying to find this treasure and mm -hmm. this um, princess Nariel who has grown up outside of the city walls, not a princess at all. Um, but just, yeah, that's their journey to try to work together. And they're very, from very different cultures, but they try to work together to create or to, to find a way to save the city that they both love. So. Nice. What's the um, uh, target audience? Who's who's it written for? Um, so I started, I think it's going to be a YA fantasy uh, fit in that genre. Um, the more I write it, I feel like it's going to be on the older end of that. So I'm, you know, not, um, I think it's still going to be YA, but it is kind of on the older end. So, cool. yeah. Very cool. Um, I'm curious to ask, and you probably don't have to answer this, but what is there is there a special reason why she is raised outside the city walls like like princess in exile or something yeah so her 
I'm trying to think if this is going to give anything away because <laughs> when the story starts, you don't know why this princess is outside of the walls and what are the political okay. dynamics. So that's part of the mystery. But, yeah, I think you find out pretty early on, though, that her her mom was exiled because of some stuff that she did. So there's a lot of tension between Nariel and then the people who live in the city because of that, because her mother had a really terrible experience. Mm -hmm. And so there's some family background and there's some politics involved. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, she's kind of grown up outside of the city then and nice. still remembers all of, you know, she still knows she's a princess, but she, mm -hmm. there's a lot of things that are different about her because of that. Yeah. What's the, uh, what's the overall feeling of the book? Like, is it, is it similar to uh, a movie or some other books that are out there? Oh, um, one of my friends was just reading a book, City of Brass, and she said that it reminded her a lot of that. I haven't read it, so I can't say for sure if that's, um, you know, if that's something I would say. Um, but she, um, I think I would describe it as, um, let's see, it's fantasy, but it's very, um, I, almost, I want to say visceral. I don't know if that's right, but a lot of people comment on how, vivid it is like how it um nice. it kind of sucks you in so it's kind of more magical but very brightly colored would maybe be a good way to say it where um yeah there's the desert and there's um so i'm hearing like prince of persia with Lightbringer or shadow and bone oh yes yes actually prince of persia is very yeah that's a very very good description of it yeah very adventure bright and magic filled yeah that is fun i love that stuff um Funnily enough, there's a novel I'm very slowly procrastinating on and uh, all of a sudden realized in rewriting it, oh, yes, it is actually set in the desert too. So I'll, uh, oh, I'm looking forward to checking out your novel for, for inspiration. So, okay, let's talk about the origin of the story. What is it that, that kicked it off and that, how long have you been writing it? Uh, what mm -hmm. was the inspiration for it? Let's, let's dig into um, some of the origins of the story. Yeah. The, so the story origin really is a dream I had when I was really little. There was this moment of the dream where I was running along a castle wall or some kind of palace wall and the wall was collapsing behind me as I was running. And it was just an incredibly vivid moment in the dream where it was, I think it was a little scary, but just really tragic. And it was it was such a beautiful place that I was. I don't remember being that scared, but just it was really sad. So I had this really vivid moment. Um, and then another part in the dream, I, you know, suddenly was in um, this completely different spot um, deep in a, a jungle or a forest. And it was very beautiful. But there was a sense of loss because the tower behind me had been collapsing. Mm -hmm. So anyways, that was basically the two scenes that kickstarted the novel. And from there, wow. I just would you know, kind of dig into those scenes a little bit more. What happened before? What, mm -hmm. what ha why was the city collapsing? What happened after? You know, what were they going to do about it? And so that's really how it started. It was just a dream. Um, and I love writing down dreams when I get really vivid moments like this because they, yeah, it's just beautiful how they can kind of expand into a full world and a novel and, it's yeah, true. keep going from there. Do you do yeah. um, uh, dream journaling? Um, I don't. I, I've been told I should try to do that but usually i'll just do it if i get hit with a really <laughs> powerful dream Clear, that i feel yeah. like i have to save then I'll, then i'll sit down and do it but i don't do it every day or um, oh sure sure have a specific journal or anything like that yeah, yeah yeah i've got a little app that i like to use and sometimes if a dream is is that vivid i'll pull it up and and jot it down and it's sometimes 
it's strange and it's intriguing to go back and reread them. Um, sometimes, mm. yes, you can get cool ideas, you know, from them. But I remember reading once, you know, I think I was reading something about Carl Jung or dream psychology, stuff like that. And they would talk about mm. pay attention to to all the details, like which direction are you walking? Which direction do you, mm. did you turn in? Because everything in a dream is, in a way, it's you trying to parse and understand something you're going through and your ideas about things in your environment or in your own personality. Um, when you sit and actually reflect on that, because half the time dreams is something you're trying to tell yourself. Now that your conscious mind is out of the way, your subconscious mind you know, it's doing some sort of processing. So you can, anyhow, it's, uh, it can be fantastic food for thought um, mm -hmm. in there. And it, actually what's intriguing about that is when I crafted the How to Be a Catholic Author course, unintentionally, it was kind of part of it, this sense that this is what we authors are doing. Um, we are, it's kind of like a dream space. It's kind of like subconscious space. We're playing around in, in, in creativity, which is an area that's kind of above and below ordinary waking day consciousness, like mm. above and that it involves, you know, the angels and holiness and the numinous and kind of its impression on us. And then there's all the stuff that we don't ever want to think about or deal with and so on. And then, so we create stories out of that stuff. And that just intrigues me. Oh, that's fascinating. What app do you use then for dream well, things? I'm not actually, I mean, you could just use a text file if you wanted, but I use a little um, thing. It's called. Yeah, it's called Lucid Dream Journal. It's like a very purple looking little app. So, and then it's kind of funny because you can then every day it says, so how did you feel? How did you sleep? And you get a little emoji and stuff. And then over time it gives you like, oh, you had bad sleep, good sleep, bad sleep. And I don't know, maybe you can just sort of track what kind of dreams you're having depending on how you're feeling or something. I've never paid attention that much to it. Mm. But um, anyhow, just reminds me of, uh, have you read the story Elantris by Brandon Sanderson? No. No? Okay, it just when your dream, your description of that dream reminded me of that that novel. It's it's an amazing. I love Brandon Sanderson as an author. Anyhow, that's beside me. So, um, I'm go. Let's go back to Sands of Null. And um, so it emerged out of a dream. How long then have you been uh, working on it? And and what is it like creating the characters? Um, and and you described the dream having a very specific feeling and. Do you feel like you capture that in your book? Oh, those are, those are really good questions. Um, I think so. I, I hope so. <laughs> I hope I've captured it. Okay. Um, I, I think so. Judging from beta reader response. Um, so far, a lot of the responses have been exactly what I'm going for. So that's, that's a plus, right? Um, you know, as an author, you're always hoping that you get this um, this response to people. Um, let's see, how long have I been working on this? I think I've been working on it for about, um, I've had, I had the dream probably like 14 years ago. So mm -hmm. a while that I've been working on the actual world. Um, I've been working on actually writing it out in a format where people, other people can have it as a novel, um, probably for about two years now. So a long time and trying to figure out the writing process. Um, it's, a novel is such a huge thing. <laughs> it's a, a totally different journey than writing a short story or an essay. So I'm trying to learn mm -hmm. what's the best method of doing this. Um, so what has worked for you? Uh, what is your writing process? Um, yeah, good question. I think one of the biggest things that I've had to learn is 
um, telling myself the story and being okay with not having it perfect at first. Okay. I think it's easy to get paralyzed when you have, you know, eight, you know, what is it? 80,000 worth of words that you want to tell people and you have no idea how to arrange this or how do we even start a project this big? And I think the, the best piece of advice I heard was tell yourself the story first and then you can arrange it the best, you know, better ways. And that has helped a lot. So going through and just what do I need to see right now in this moment? Um, mm -hmm. What do I want to see from these characters? Um, and being okay with just telling myself each piece of the story as it kind of unfolds has been really good. Mm -hmm. um, and then... And then after that, you know, I'll kind of do a polishing look. I'll send it out to beta readers and ask, you know, was there something that was confusing? And I will get comments like, you know, I think you should move this chapter from, you know, here to over here. This mm -hmm. one needs to be number one because it was confusing. So then it's helpful. But um, but for myself, I think the, the process that's worked is trying to be, you know, basically writing the story that I want to read. <laughs> and so mm -hmm. just telling myself what I, you know, writing down on the page what I see really clearly, what I'm interested in looking at, because there are, there's, an infinite amount of, amount of details that you could put into a book where you, you know, you could turn your head any which way and you could tell what's, what's on the wall currently, you know, what does the carpet feel like? And you have to yeah. figure out like, what do you want to look at? And that's probably what the re reader is going to want as well. Every so often, of course, they're going to say, Oh, I really wish, you know, I didn't have a sense of space or things like that. But it's, I think just telling this, like, what do I want to see next? You know, what am I really curious about? And then putting that down has helped me a lot because I think, you know, if you want to see it and you're interested in it, that's probably going to be interesting for the, the reader as well. So that's mm -hmm. been my process so far. That's in intriguing. Um, I know that you've got courses uh, on your website and, and so you're, that's courses in writing and editing as well. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. And let's talk about that just for a second and then come back. So tell us about your courses. All right. So the courses, uh, it's Adventures in Excellence. The website is, um, it started uh, a couple years ago, um, actually when COVID shut everything down, and I realized a lot of people were kind of involuntarily homeschooling. Mm -hmm. um, and I have always, um, I've always loved writing. I've worked as a tutor slash teacher for I don't know ten years now, um, so I've had some experience. And I decided I really wanted to um, kind of start my own courses. So mm -hmm. a lot of them are going to be composition courses, which mm -hmm. are um, based on um, the Institute for Excellence in Writing, IW classes, which um, that's kind of a big um, curriculum creator in the um, homeschooling world. So a lot of them are based off of that. And um, they're classical. Um, there's a kind of a classical education pedagogy there, um, which okay. I think is really cool. I think um, the writing, the academic writing that comes out from those kinds of courses are often really um really good, not just in terms of organization, but stylistically students really learn how to speak eloquently. And because of that, they are kind of pushed to expand their vocabulary and their critical thoughts. So that's mm -hmm. um, the main set of courses I have are composition courses. Um, I also create literature courses. Um, and then um, I've, I've just started doing some creative writing as well, which mm -hmm. has been really, really fun. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's, um, it's very, very exciting. Uh, mm -hmm. to see students come in, you know, with an idea and then leave with a pretty solid draft of a novel. Uh, my goal someday is to have a shelf on my wall with my books and then another shelf with all of my students' books, uh, because that would just be incredible. So uh, it's very exciting to see, uh, yeah, other people's worlds that they have kind of locked in their heads start mm -hmm. to get on the page and expand. And I love exploring it. I don't feel like I'm working. I feel like I'm privileged totally. to read a lot of books. So, mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, I was always um, everything you just said. That's completely describing me uh, growing up. I'm from a family of like eight kids, and four of us were like into writing stories and stuff, and two of us took it really seriously. And I just couldn't get enough of that. I love that, and that's actually a huge reason why I started Catholic author and then legend fiction. Whoops, as kind of a, a publishing place, you know, for that is because we just want to have fun when it comes to creative writing and stories and discovering worlds together and sharing. So with all of the work that you've then put into the courses and your education and so on, how do you feel that impacted your uh, writing of the novel? Do you feel it, it kind of went mm. more easily than you expected or did you kind of trip up over yourself or did you have to unlearn things? How did that impact you? I, yeah, it's cool because it has really impacted my writing a lot. Um, I think, um, I think I never want to stop teaching because when you're telling other people to do stuff, you can't ignore that advice yourself. So I think there's been a lot of times where my students will hit a problem and I'll, I'll give them advice, you know, like there's no such thing as writer's block. Here's how you get over this. Um, you know, and I'll, I'll give them that advice. So when I'm feeling like a little lull in my writing, I'll, I'll have that, um, you know, that all of the advice I gave them I'll have for myself. And, and I think that um, there's an enthusiasm and a creativity among students as well that's really beautiful and really inspiring. So I think it's helped a tremendous amount. Um, teaching writing is constantly making me want to hone my own craft so I can be better at teaching how, them how to hone their craft. And so it's constantly challenging me to step up and like be a little bit better of a, a writer, be a little bit better of an editor. Um, you know, I, I'm grading their papers. It's It's helping me also get in the zone of polishing my own work. So it's this, mm -hmm. um, I think it really challenges me to continue to be a better writer um, in, in so many ways and in, in, in th like be enthusiastic, be, you know, grammatically a little sharper, you know, be uh, excited to explore new corners of the world, be, you know, be um, dedicated to the craft. So yeah, all of those things is, have really helped a lot for sure. Awesome. What's been the number one piece of advice? Maybe as you then shut all the doors, switch on your, your music, get in the zone. And then as you're writing, one piece of advice keeps coming back to you that, that helps you turn out good, good writing. Oh, one piece of advice. <laughs> um, I think, um, um, I, I, I think this is, I, I love the advice, be true to the story or like be honest, because mm -hmm. I think sometimes there's a story that we have that we should be telling. Mm -hmm. um, but then sometimes I've seen students kind of shy away or friends even who are writing books kind of shy away from a scene because they feel like it's, um, they're already thinking about their readers and they feel like it's not going to be well received. Like, oh, my readers are going to hate this character though. So I'm going to try to make him a little less cowardly than he actually, this character actually is. Or I'm going to try to describe this, um, this setting to be a little bit nicer or something like that. Mm -hmm. And I think... What, ha what what like what happens when we really just let it be what it is like let the story be what it is is there's like a sense of authenticity about it and mm -hmm. um, even in fantasy there's a sense of a real place or a real character mm -hmm. um, so I think just trying to be real to what the character you know what the character actually is or what the setting actually is is really important and then you know let's say if down the road agents feel like this character isn't very likable and they want you to change it that's fine but I think it's really important to just put what's actually what you're actually seeing in your head, whether you know that's mm -hmm. your dream or that's your character that you really want to have on the page. I think being 
honest. Uh, and it sounds kind of funny yeah. because, of course, you're making it up. But I, I feel like oftentimes there's a character that you can see um, or, you know, there's a story that people have that they want to tell. And I think just being honest to that or being yeah. true to that kind of is is really important. Yeah. Um, two examples jump to mind for me. One is a personal one. And then one is a story I was just rereading for a friend earlier uh, this week. One was a, I invented little character when I was a kid. And um he started out in a coloring book and he was kind of heroic and he was, you know, his little uh, Robin Hood mouse, basically a little mouse that could shoot bows and arrows and stuff. And he's rescuing the world from bad rats. whatever. And um, yeah, it, he's totally coming back as like a totally grown up YA novel. But anyhow, when I started trying to turn it into a novel at about 21 or 22, I started trying to get into his head and all of a sudden realized, oh my gosh, he is an angry little mouse. This is not mm. what I expected at all. He's supposed mm. to be like, you know, um, Errol Flynn, you know, upbeat and, you know, cavalier. And then I tried to get into his heart and tell the story from the inside out. It's like, whoa, I did not expect this character. <laughs> and ended up walking away from it for like a decade before I realized one of the ways to handle that was to split that character into three characters. And then all of a sudden I understood him. But that sense of be honest with your character and then and then see where that goes. and. Yes. I like the point you made about, you know, that authenticity, because um, sometimes I think the audience we think we're writing for isn't exactly that, right? And yeah. this dovetails to the second story I was going to mention. I'll turn it back over to you. But um, this one person was writing a story about a, a kind of a holy character, a known saint in a terrible uh, uh, execution-like situation. And he did a great job in describing how horrible the situation was. But the character ended up being very um, sort of holy card, flat, perfect answers, mm -hmm. no real, like all of the attention given into how horrible the world was, none of that went into the actual character's response to that. Maybe because the person feels, oh, I, I can't be that real or that authentic. Um, there are, we know now they're a saint, so they, they shouldn't have things like, I don't know, doubts and fears on the way to the scaffold or something like that. and. I'm pushed back and said, no, 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 that's not your job to tell, you know, if you want to tell that kind of story, then fine, do it. But I don't think that's what you're telling. You really are need to pull us into the inner life and the inner journey, the, mm -hmm. the animal fear of the, the body goes through as a person's going into that. And we can't see that from the outside, but that's what stories are supposed to give to us, you know? So maybe the audience you're, you think you're writing for isn't actually that maybe you're writing for a different audience, an older one. Uh, a more mature one if that's the case i think own it um and it, it's that's why movies get pg ratings or r ratings you know just pick your rating and then you know see where that goes what do you think mm, absolutely i love the example of of a saint too because i think sometimes we try to pretend that saints weren't human <laughs> um and i think that just makes them less accessible and i think telling their story honestly um, can help people who are trying to strive for sainthood as well. Um, and I think um, that is something that I, I would love to see more. I know um, I, I know the writer Meg Hunter Kilmer uh, has mm -hmm. been doing a lot of trying to tell saint stories honestly and, and you know, talking about they had yeah. struggles too. Um, so yes, I just, I agree so much. I think diving into the characters, whether they're, you know, your little, you're, you know, the mouse or they're a saint, either way, it's, it's just so good to 
um, to be real, because that's what that's what the people are actually going to that's what readers really want. I mean, that's what mm -hmm. I want. I want a character who's who's real and who's interesting. And maybe I can relate to that character or maybe they help me see another side of humanity. I, you know, I don't want this yeah. whitewashed, perfect or um, stock character that you mm -hmm. thought I wanted, you know, so something like that. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with that. Um, I'm curious about your take on, you know, writing for your audience. And then perhaps you get into a story and this is, I don't know, maybe this is going darker than you thought it was. And I'm not sure if I want to go this place. And what would, what would you say to someone about the idea of maybe taking a step back and owning their audience or understanding who they're writing for or what it is they're actually writing? Like, how have you responded to that? Mm, I'm trying to see who your audience is. Um, I'm trying to think like in terms of like, how do you pick your audience or, um, or, or how do you understand, I guess I'm not sure how do you understand your audience better? Oh, yeah. that... Like, um, <laughs> I don't know, maybe, maybe starting, you know, kind of with your story is a good, a good starting point. Like, obviously I think when we start things, we start writing for ourselves and then a point comes where we realize there's partly an obligation to the audience that we're writing for, but there's also an obligation to the original vision that we had for the thing. Uh, I'm very much in line with, uh, or I agree so far with Flannery O'Connor when she's like, you're creating a piece of art and there is a corresponding responsibility from the person observing the art to elevate themselves, to understand it. Um, not everybody will. It's not for everybody. Uh, it's like my dad would always say, you don't read the Song of Songs to a classroom of 13-year-olds. Not an appropriate <laughs> audience. Or Hamlet to a room of manic depressives. It's like, not the mm. right audience. you know. So I think it does give you a good sense of objectivity about what to keep and how to edit when you can get a clear sense of who you want and don't want reading the story. Uh, so I'm curious if that's come up for you with your own story or in, in your advice to others. Oh, that is a, that is a good question. I feel like, um, um, I think oftentimes when I'm giving advice to other people for their, you know, my students for their stories, I'm seeing a lot of, um, you know, they're often writing for their own age group. So, it's we have this um you know we have this community of writers then where you're, they're getting feedback from their from their peers that are the age that kind of are the audience they're writing for so that's that's actually incredibly helpful because the audience isn't um necessarily an abstract kind of mm -hmm. group of you know oh you're gonna have a, a ya novel and so try to think of a ya audience but when you have actual people who are in this age group and they're all working on, you know, giving you critiques on it and you can see their reactions every time you read a, a short clip and you can hear what they want to hear more of. That's been incredibly helpful. Um, so I, I guess, um, I guess I don't think about audience. Uh, I don't always think of it as abstractly, but I kind of think mm -hmm. about, um, oh, you know, what will my friend so-and-so think of this piece? You know, in the, I try to think of an audience that may, or people that are maybe fitting in the audience. Mm -hmm. Um, people that kind of fit in the audience demographic at least, and then think about how they might enjoy the story better or what would help make it clear or be appropriate to, to put in for that specific audience level. So I kind of, um, yeah, I kind of, I guess I think of them, pick a couple of people that I feel like fit the demographic and then think, what would they like? And then mm -hmm. hopefully that also is going to help the, you know, help it be appropriate for the wider, wider demographic as well. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. No, good, good point. On a, um, Keeping it moving, and I'm just curious to ask you, apart from the Silmarillion, do you have any favorite legends or stories growing up that uh, you, you love a lot, you'd like to come back to? Maybe it's a myth 
or a legend? Yes. Um, I mean, it's hard to say one, but I think one that has been kind of consistently fascinating to me has been East of the Sun, West of the Moon. Like, um, oh, isn't that is that George MacDonald? Oh, there is. Um, I've I've read. Um, there's an old, a really old. Or no, is that the back of the North Wind? That might be on the back. Uh, of the North Wind. Okay. Um, but it's um like an old Norwegian. I think it's like a Norwegian fairy tale. I think. Okay. okay. Um, I'm not sure, but it's it's very similar to, or it's it kind of feels like a Norwegian take on Cupid and <clears throat> Cupid and Psyche, kind of like the okay. the Greek myth. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's kind of like a, um, yeah, almost like a Beauty and the Beast. Uh, I, I feel like there's a very similar strain that runs through a lot of, uh, a lot of cultures. But um, so I don't, I'm not sure. Maybe George MacDonald had a very, you know, took took a, um, had a spin on it. You know, uh-huh. uh, that might have that might have been that. But um, I like I like also Till We Have Faces, which is kind of um, okay, C.S. Yes. Lewis's. Mm-hmm. Um, his retelling of Cupid and Psyche. Um, mm. So yeah, east, east of the sun, west of the moon is just a very beautiful, it's a kid's story, mm-hmm. but it has, there's, um, I guess this theme of like longing for the beloved and like journeying after them and hoping to find them, which I think is, it's a very beautiful story. You know, it's, you know, mm-hmm. very um, Beauty and the Beast where, you know, she's she goes off and then she realizes the beast may be dying and she, you know, she's trying to find, trying to yeah. hope he's okay. Or in this story, um, the girl, she, the her, her lover's taken away and she has to go find, you know, she has to go find him and she has to go east of the sun, west of the moon, which is an impossible distance, really. But she's determined to try. And I think it's, yeah, it's a very beautiful story and it kind of captures this longing in... Um, the human heart, I think, to want to find love, but really to, to want to find God, you know, so I think mm-hmm. that's, it's very sweet and it's cute, but it's also so, I think it has so much depth to it as well. So yeah. that was, oh, that's that beautiful. Was it's been a long time since I've read that. Now that you're bringing that, you're mentioning that the, one of the things I so love about myths and fairy tales is how, um, how they are so rich with psychological and spiritual uh, truths and their their narratives that are meant to be read as children, but then they're meant to be understood and integrated as adults. And um, what you just said right there, I never realized it till you pointed out. East of the sun, west of the moon, effectively means staying completely in place and not moving. Uh, it's like discovering a position of complete centeredness and inner, you know, awareness, spiritual awakening, that kind of thing. I never realized that we dramatize this or externalize this as a long journey. Cause that's what it can feel like sometimes when you're mm. trying to understand yourself, but that's, I never realized that actually means being completely in place because to go completely East of the sun and West of the moon doesn't allow you to go anywhere. <laughs> that's so cool. I love that. Yes. Oh, that's it's an fun. internal journey as well. As yeah, a, exactly. Yeah. Oh my goodness. There's a post that I wrote and you've written these kinds of posts, which is why it's so cool to chat with you. But um, one of the seminal posts that went out with the Catholic author blog as it relaunched was this idea of the rewilding of enchantment. Mm. Um, There'd been a book that was written by Bruno Bettelheim called The Uses of Enchantment and how he, uh, I think he was a Freudian, Jungian, um, I think he was a psychoanalyst, but he used fairy tales to help traumatize children reintegrate themselves. And he would read them through these stories. And if they would cotton onto a particular story, he'd go back 
without judgment or observation or, you know, uh, or explaining anything, just read that story to the child over and over and over again until they worked through some internal process. And then he turned it all into this great big book. And it's just, I didn't know what I was reading when I first read it 15 years ago. And then I've come back to it since and uh, reread my notes and stuff and realized this is amazing. Um, but more importantly, I don't like the title, the uses of enchantment. No, no, no. I think we need to rewild it. Um, and it's not always, you know, Aslan is not a tame lion, right? And enchantment is a numinous thing. So allowing it to um, go back to being this kind of wild, sacred, spiritual, um, like an enzyme that that catalyzes us, that moves us to do things. And I think fairy tales, myths, and sacred tales, sacred stories, they do that. They, they're these, like these ferments inside us that get us to think differently, to engage differently with the world. Um, to allow angels to breathe through us, you know, Mary and, and the saints to be active in us. As long as we're, you know, open to enchantment, because the world is always enchanted. It's we who, you know, de-chant, disenchant mm -hmm. on magic ourselves, whatever. So anyhow, that was, yeah, fairy tales yes. and, and myths are just wonderful things. Oh, I love that. Yes. Yes. There's, I, I didn't, I didn't know about that book, um, how fairy tales can help. Um, traumatized children but that sounds it sounds so fascinating because i think that's so it's so true so mm -hmm. true i hope um i'm curious to ask you about uh in creating your world and the sands mm -hmm. of null uh, let's talk about world building um how much time do you spend on it do you have like google docs and text files with loads of notes do you sometimes get lost in it or are you more uh neatly structured and you quite more easily progress through things uh, what's your process on that front Oh, this is a good question. I think with Sands of Nal, it's it's such an old world for me in, in some ways. Mm. Um, I feel like it's kind of changed depending on where I'm at with it. Um, but mm. I know when I was little, I'd always get these travel magazines and I'd cut out pictures that felt like okay. um, that felt like it might be a piece of thing. So I remember there was one room I cut out like some I don't know if it was a hotel room or what, but mm. it was yeah, it was beautiful. And I was like, this is totally where the princess stays when she does come into the city. Like I just, uh -huh. it was, it was what it was. Um, and so, you know, I, I've, I've gone that route of kind of just seeing what inspires me um, with world building music, I feel like helps me really build a world. Um, mm -hmm. I've listened to the interstellar soundtrack so many times while writing <laughs> the Sands oh, of Oh, wow. Yeah. So that is cool. Right, I, I yeah, Hans Zimmer's great. Do you have um, yeah, he is. <laughs> Do you have Pinterest boards that you make for for your books? So I've I've pinned a lot of pins that I I want to kind of explore at some point, and I think a story mm. could be built off of them. I haven't okay. actually done any mood boards for specifically for mm. like one novel, which I know some writers do that and they're really good at it. I'm just not that organized. If I go on Pinterest, I will get lost in some like, you know, yeah. workout corner of it or you know some fashion yeah. corner and i'll forget why i went on in the first place so um i yeah i haven't done that but i think in terms of building um i really so i like to travel a lot and i like to you know experience and kind of understand a deeper uh, learn more about other cultures and then gain a deeper appreciation for them so i mm -hmm. think that has been where a lot of my world building has come from so um I think, um, so I stayed in Greece for two months and, oh, wow. or in Athens, and I think that has impacted, there's a couple of the cultures in my story that I, I know um, that are, are coming a lot from from my 
experiences in in Greece and with the language there and the culture and um, mm -hmm. so I think I think traveling is kind of a huge so yeah I mean traveling uh, and music has been a, a huge influence on the world building mm -hmm. there's not I don't have anything um, organized in terms of like oh here's my list of foods that they eat you know I don't have any documents necessarily gotcha. but they're just kind mm -hmm. of um, it's more like that's a culture that I I visit that I know about um, and mm -hmm. I don't necessarily um, like sometimes I'll ask myself, like, what do I think that Tarek, you know, the chief advisor eats for breakfast? Like, what what do they actually eat? Because that's going to change what the kitchen looks like. Mm -hmm. um, and I'll, I'll kind of poke around um, and usually within the story. So I'll be writing a scene and, I'll, you know, I, have, I, I do have a scene where he eats breakfast and uh, in middle of conversation. So I, I do think about it. I don't. Um, it's more of, you know, it kind of feels a little bit more like traveling, though, than like um, going through an encyclopedia. Or I don't have like a, a document or a um you know, a list or anything like that, like a formalized list. Um, it might be fun to make one at some point, but for now, I just, um, I'll just kind of poke around and I feel like the cultures are, um, there's two different cultures uh, in the book. Um, so I think that they're kind of um, their own entities enough where I can just kind of let them be in the story. And if I need to learn something more, like if I want to know a little bit more about something, I'll, I'll write a scene with a character mm -hmm. in it and I'll kind of be exploring an element through the scene. Um, but I won't necessarily have like, a, you know, anything to go back to like a list or anything like that. Gotcha. So, yeah. Very cool. Um, as we're starting to wrap up, I'm curious to ask, uh, hold on, see if I can remember what my question. Oh, very quickly. Do you anticipate a sequel? Is that something you're thinking about? Maybe it's going to happen. Okay. So this is fun. Um, okay. The question, the answer is, I'm not sure, but I know that there are at least, I think, six other novels that happen in this world in different parts of the world. Oh, and wow. I know that at some point, all of those novels are going to wrap up. Um, they're they're going to start overlapping. Um, okay. So it's kind of like a Marvel setup where every nice. every culture, every corner of this world has a very specific story that um, that I want to tell from their culture. So mm -hmm. this is the Sands of Knowledge in the desert. There's, um, you know... A, there's those Narana the step is happens in the in the step country and the, kind of in the flats uh, above the mountains and um, anyways there's there's different cultures and so every I don't know if these characters are going to get their own sequel or if they're going to be and end up kind of being in the <clears throat> the novel down the road that ends up wrapping up all of these cultures so mm -hmm. the answer is I'm not sure but uh, I'm mm -hmm. very very excited to kind of uh, explore more corners of this world so. Yeah. Awesome. Well, we're we're out of time to ask all the other questions that I did want to ask about the process <laughs> on on traditional publishing and the fact that you've gone that route. And I think you mentioned earlier having some agents. So uh, maybe we'll have you back, or I don't know, have, invite yeah. you to share a short post, perhaps on the blog about just your experience about you know uh, working with or considering that. Um, in our last minute together, Jacqueline, if you had one minute to share a message of encouragement to Catholic authors everywhere, what would you like to say to them? Um, oh yeah, let's see. So I'll try to keep it quick. Um, I would say, um, don't be a wannabe writer, just be a writer. I guess that was, um, one thing that I was told, um, you get to decide whether you're a writer or not. I think people put too much pressure sometimes on themselves to, um, uh, for what it takes to be a writer. You know, they have to get things published. They have to get things published a certain way. And I would just say, you know, if you have a story, um, that's, that's a beautiful, a beautiful gift. Um, and so just start sharing that story with the world. Um, you know, don't wait, don't wait, just start right away. So um, yeah, share it with the rest of us. We'd love that.
Hey there, thanks for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed it, please give it a thumbs up. Go ahead and uh, subscribe to us on YouTube, uh, Spotify. You know, you can head on over to catholicauthor.us and join the mailing list and get notified uh, usually each Wednesday once a week of all of the new podcasts and blog posts that we've written and the updates going on in our community. But please do share up the one person that you think would really like to hear this particular interview uh, and maybe learn from the guests that we just chatted with. Um, you know, come and check us out at the community we're building in Catholic Author. It's the super friendly creative community for the modern Catholic author. Come and give, get feedback, share your insights and your works in progress, build a network of supportive friends. Plus, there's a whole lot more going on. Check us out. Join us at catholicauthor.us. Until next time, keep writing.